0: So as you can tell, we'll be talking about the Lord's Prayer today. And one thing I want to say is that, um, as you just heard me say it, the very traditional version of it, um, in most of the Bible translations that we read most days, that's not the version that we have. Um, a lot of people have memorized it, though, as kids, including myself, uh, even though the Bible that I used growing up was not that traditional version. That's still the version of orange, Brad rice. So, as you hear us quote this, talk about this, we're going to stick to that because it's at least like the most common. Um, can we turn it on just a little bit? Sorry, it's the most common one that people know. So, I think uh, we'll just stick to that. So, just don't let that be a speed bump for you. It feels a little different in terms of its language, but uh, it's okay. It's, it's cool for most of you. you probably quite glad that we didn't switch it up on you, do the message version, and really throw you off. So. Anyway, we are going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer, um, and so it wasn't just a, a chance to throw a chosen clip at you. Um, this is relevant to what we're going to be talking about today and for the next few weeks. Um, so we've been talking about apprenticeship to Jesus the past two weeks, and that's what we're talking about in our small groups together, our small groups. And so um, just wanted to catch you up on that for a second before we move on, but that word apprenticeship is much more what it's, what, um, it's really like to follow Jesus and the disciples The way he described and following him was like, the way to be a disciple back then. Apprenticeship is much more of an accurate word to, to what not only the disciples did, but also what they modeled and what Jesus himself commissioned for us to do also in our day. The goals for that, for apprenticeship to Jesus, are to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. So I'm just recapping this because what we're talking about today actually fits underneath all of this stuff. Uh, we're also we talked about last week's modeling habits that Jesus showed, that Jesus did, modeling our habits after his habits, the ways that he uh, had a relationship with the Father, stayed connected to him, uh, was transformed by him. That's the way we are transformed as well. That's the way we go out and serve him and follow his will. And so habits of Jesus um, are things we're not making. We Wanna start with prayer. That's the first one we want to start spending time talking about. So I just wanted you to remind you guys about that so you don't lose the thread. We're still in this zone of apprenticeship. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about following Jesus's lead in how we should pray and think about prayer. Uh, I'm going to read just this little passage of what I read last week just to remind us um, some of what Jesus kind of talks about with apprenticeship and following him and all that stuff. So in John 14, he says, In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, you are in me, and I'm in you. The one who has, who has, who has my commands, keeps them, is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself too. You know, that's the goal. We want this interconnection. Same way that Jesus stayed connected to the Father is how we want to be connected to Jesus. And that is how the Father revealed to us. It's very paramount that we love Jesus and we follow His commands. That we have the Holy Spirit. Also, in the same chapter, it talks about Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to us and keeping us connected to Jesus and the Father. So, we're going to be working on the first habit, Jesus, the first sort of skill in our apprenticeship. The first tool in our belt, so to speak, is prayer. Um, and I think we'll be doing this slightly different ways um, in our small groups in here on Sunday. So, it's not exactly the same thing. But just like Devin, I am going to do a little bit of a preface on some of the small group stuff. So if you're in one of our adult small groups, you'll hear a little bit of this repeated this week, but um, don't get tired of it. This prayer. It's prayer. It's about Paul and Judas. Don't get tired of it. So we're starting with prayer, and I think that for some, this might not be the place that everyone needs to start. For our community, I think it is. We, do, we think it is. The leaders in our community think it's where we need to start in terms of our fundamental, the practical approach, how we mimic the ways that Jesus lived his life, his habits. Um, to start with what our communication with God is like, to start with our time spent with him, to talk about, start with like how we talk with him, why we even talk with him, what we talk about when we talk with him, that kind of stuff. We wanna build that layer first. I think sometimes, um, I think it really matters where you start. Um, and I think first, for a good amount of us, starting with something like scripture something like that, it'd be a little overwhelming, it'd be a little guilty. I think just getting us in a place where we want to spend time with Jesus, we want to converse with God, is a great place to start. And, and can, we can build off of a foundation like that. So on Sundays, we're going to be doing this somewhat short sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. We'll be taking it sort of idea by idea um, for the next six weeks or so. And in our small groups, we're doing something a little bit different, but we will include the Lord's Prayer as well. So there'll be some variety there. Um, so let's start with reading just, we have two accounts of the Lord's Prayer in our, um, in our Gospels, one in Matthew, and then one also that we have in Luke. They're a little bit different from each other, but let's start reading the Matthew one. This is in Matthew chapter six, starting in verse five. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this specific account that's actually taking place during the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is in a sort of a section where Jesus is talking about prayer in a few different ways, and he takes a second to get this specific about prayer, um, and then the, the account in Luke is very similar to what we just watched in the shows, and they kind of mix them together a little bit, but um, uh, in Luke 11, it says this. He was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, the wording is slightly different. I'm going to just say the standard one, though. Whenever you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, I think what's really interesting about Luke's version and about just the the that side of it is that the disciples came and asked Jesus for... Guidance on this—it's um, a kind of unique moment. Um, I wonder which kid is doing what too. But uh, <laughs> Lord, let your kingdom come over in the kids' room, please. Um, and so, Amen. That's right. Um, I think this is really interesting because this is a, a moment one where the disciples approached Jesus and asked this. I think the most likely interpretation of this is both these things did happen. The disciples asked him, and then he also included this in the Sermon on the Mount. So he told his group of people that were following him. He also told the crowds, the people um, that he was was preaching to, and that they asked Jesus this, and he responds in a pretty straightforward way, a little bit not just typical way of responding. You know, he liked to make sure that the disciples felt adequately challenged and puzzled most of the time, um, just like we still are today. But we essentially see that clip there is that Jesus Responds and guiding them, teaching them this prayer. Um, pretty straightforward, pretty important, pretty unique moment. There's not a lot of moments like this that you can point to in the scriptures. The disciples asking to be taught something, Jesus teaches them that thing. Um, and we also know the many, many times that Jesus is out praying, spending time praying. And when he's responding to them, uh, I think we have plenty of reason to believe this is how Jesus himself also prays. Not like the only way. But this is something that Jesus himself prays often, and that's a little little Jesus secret that he's sharing with the disciples. Um, and so, I just those two accounts are a little bit different from each other, but I think they both um, give us some really important stuff. So, the Lord's Prayer is intended for our use, and it's intended for our good. Okay, it's something Jesus himself prayed. It's something he recommended. It's not a restriction you place on prayer and say don't pray in any other way. That's something he himself did. He recommended his disciples, recommended the crowd, the entire crowd, the Sermon on the Mount, to also do this. And so I think it has so much value exactly as it's written. You notice Jesus didn't say, like, do something a little bit like this. You know, he didn't He didn't say, just kind of check some of these boxes. I think as it already is written, it has a lot of value. It's an amazing prayer already. Um, try to say every line of it in earnest and not feel the weight of it. Um, when you're asking God to supplant our will, take ours out, but his instead things like that. Um, it's a heavy prayer to pray um, if you really try to do it honestly. And in a few words, the prayer is made up of it's not very long, obviously. It addresses so many important aspects of our relationship with God. It quickly cuts to the deep motivations within us. It cuts deep to who we are living our lives for, living our lives for God or for ourselves. Uh, and this makes sense because in Matthew's account, being in the midst of Jesus talking about the different ways he sees prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, uh, addressing two different ways of seeing people approach prayer in the wrong way. Um, not because I said the words aren't right. It's not eloquent or enough or whatever. You yeah. notice the two th- ways he tells people not to pray are about motivations, about what's going on in their hearts. First, he compares to the righteous folks, the hypocrites, Pharisees, whatever you want to say. Who pray because they they want to be perceived in a certain way by others it's not about god it's not about spending time with him it's not about submitting to him um it's not about asking for his help that's what we can see from the that approach of prayer um their motivations are wrong then he also compares to the gentiles meaning people who follow other gods and other religions um and his example about babbling isn't just like a shallow insult or something It's accurate, it's how they prayed often. Um, Think back to Elijah and the prophets of Baal, they were just rambling and rambling. Those prophets were trying to win Baal over so that he would do what they wanted. They were trying to get him to do their will. Um, And they thought if they could be rambling long enough and persistent enough, they could influence the gods to do what they wanted to do. So the Lord's Prayer pierces through those things, pierces through our motivations, um, and if we say it, if we say it in earnest, it is asking us to lay aside so much of ourselves and to replace it with what God wants. Um, it gets right to our motivations. So neither of those two bad examples that i just talked about, the righteous and the Gentiles, um, would work. Those don't work. You can't do that. And it's it would be hard for them to want to praise things in earnest if that's what how they're approaching prayer with God. So it's not about our perception, uh, how people perceive us. That's what Jesus is saying, and it can't be about us trying to get God to do our will. Those are things we can take away from that. It's not about how people perceive us, how good our prayers sound to the people. It's not about trying to get God to do our will. That makes sense. So, because of that, the Lord's prayer also works. It works great as is, okay. But it also works as a map. Uh, that's one of the words that I would like to to use. You could use a lot of things there, a method of praying parameters to follow that keep our motivations in check and our goals centered around God. You can use it to help guide your prayer time without only just reciting as an option. Both are great. And as we've been apprenticing under Jesus, as we're talking about that, wanting to follow in the habits of Jesus, we want to follow Jesus's guidance on prayer. We want to take him at his word, that this is how we should pray. This is a really good way to pray. So slowly thinking through and talking about each piece of this prayer across the sermon series, help us learn as much as we can uh, about each little bit and give us ample opportunities to try this in our own prayer times law. That's one of the things that's absolutely essential. It's by no means the only approach to prayer. Even Jesus himself does not say that, but it's one that Jesus recommended twice. Um, And so it must be worth some serious consideration. And uh, you guys probably, like, we weren't even doubting the Lord's Prayer. Like, stop trying to convince us. We weren't even, like, (laughs) down on it or whatever. Um, I even sneakily did this in my prayer last week at the end of my sermon. I just prayed a very paraphrase, my own version, Lord's Prayer, and just followed those steps as well. Uh, and what well, you guys didn't even notice. Um and and it's not plagiarism, okay? It's like this is old stuff, right? So don't don't come at me. Yeah. Um, so so we're gonna be talking today specifically about our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy that name. That's the idea, a little bite we're gonna take today first line of this prayer. That's what we're spending time on to break that down. There's three kind of main ideas that I think we need to think through in this. The word father, the word heaven, and the word hallowed. Um, words we use every day, especially hallowed. So let's start first just talking about the father aspect. You can put that first line. Yeah. Pray, is God is the best dad this is what I want us to take away from this. Pray as if God is the absolute best dad. This is going to be talked about on earth. More of I'm very sorry um, that you'll hear twice. Oops. Man, why would you hate that? But hey, you, when something good has to happen more than once, God would. Me... So this is, the word that's used here is Abba. Um, and this word has been talked about. You've probably heard it. you probably heard some of their music even. Um, uh, but this is like the word dad, Okay. It's not the super formal father, um, and it's not the, like, super, super childlike informal daddy. You may have heard that, but it's kind of in the middle there. It's dad. Um, it's not necessarily, like, this young, childish view. That's not a bad thing. I'm not saying the bad thing. But that's not the way that this word uh, inherently means, necessarily. Um, but it is a close and intimate and very trusting way of referring to a father, Okay it's not a formal formal way of doing that so we're all adults or at least most of us look like we're adults and when most of us have a quick conversation with a parent we'll answer the phone or talk to them person, whatever and say hey dad hey mom it's it's informal but we're adults we're not little kiddos you know what i mean there's a trust there's a, a familiarity there's a comfort there and instead of hello mother yeah <laughs> hello father you know, or like, how do you do or whatever. Um, and so there's a comfort there. There's a, a familiarity. And I think mother and father, at least in our current day, those seem kind of strikingly formal. These things don't stay the same forever. But for our current day right now, that's how I think we should think of this. It's like saying, Dad. Hey, Dad. Hey, Mom. But there's familiarity, there's comfort, there's trust. Or there can be. That's some of what comes with the word Abba. So be thinking about that, we talk about this. God is a good dad. He's actually trustworthy. We can be very familiar with him. We can be comfortable. We can really feel at home talking to him. He's like the best dad. Jesus loves, absolutely loves to refer to God the Father as Abba. He loves to use that word. And now we're thinking maybe it's like, doesn't mean anything because he's like literally God's son. So, But not so fast because he urges us to do that also. He's telling mm-hmm. us in his prayer, say our father, refer to God as father, as Abba, as dad. And Jesus did grow up in the Jewish tradition as well. So he grew up doing things the way that he was taught. And they did sometimes refer to God as father. But one of the most common, the two most common ways were Adonai, which means Lord, or Elohim, which means God. So Jesus' preference for referring to God as father specifically, really often, is on purpose. It stands out. It would be something that will be noticed by people. His way of talking about God and that familiarity would have been unique, um, especially because he often says, my father, you know, really, really would have been unique, but he urges us to do that. too. He urges us to call God father. Um, in John chapter one, um, he writes, but to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but from God. So God's adopted us, okay? Except Jesus, we we're adopted into the family of God. God is our father. We are his children. In John 14, um, this, right near the, the thing I read earlier, um, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. He's not going to forget about us is adopting us. He's coming to adopt us. He's coming to bring us into his family, his children. Um, in Psalm 13, it says, The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us, will be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or paid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's the kind of dad that God is. Okay, That's the kind of dad that he is. He's the best Dad, i know for some of us this can be a little hard to wrap our heads around for other us it might just be actually like just tough and painful and that makes total sense i completely get that it brings up a lot of thoughts about dads it brings up messy history and baggage and things like that um and there's a lot of times we this room to have that to, to think about believe me uh, we're all over the map in here and so i've got my own troubled relationship with my dad I was fortunate enough to have a good version of him though, when I was a kid. So I know that is a, a blessing. I know that that's something that not everyone has, but I don't have that now. And our relationship is right now, probably the best it's been in the past three years, which is not saying a lot. It's just, a for better. I wish it was saying something. We're not close and I can't trust him very much. Um, his decisions and his ways of interacting with me and my siblings and my mom aren't loving and aren't caring. We don't have a closeness and familiarity, and it really sucks. It's painful. It's the kind of thing I know a lot of you know know what it feels like. One or both of your parents, maybe. So thinking about God as my father does sometimes bring up these feelings. It's kind of impossible for not to, you know. But also often makes me so glad and, and way more aware and thankful of how good of a father God really is. It really underscores that stuff. He loves us so much. He doesn't deal with us as justly as he could. That's what it says in the psalm. We are sinful. We do wander. And he withholds his anger and judgment from us in a really caring way. He removes it from us. He's compassionate on us. He cares so much about each one of us. We can trust him. He actually keeps his promises. Actually keeps them. We don't have to wonder. He's dependable. He's selfless, generous. He's just. He's peace. He's patient. Isn't that really good news? Yeah. Some of you may see these qualities in a father-like figure that's, and that's great. You, can have, you doesn't have to play against the negative experience out of a dad to appreciate this. You can also have seen these little traces of this in your actual relationship with your dad. God is even better than that. He is the best dad. So that's how we should pray like we're spending time with the best dad. We're spending time with a dad that we can trust and depend on and speak to. And- be comfortable with. So pray as if God is the best dad. The next section we'll talk about is the heaven aspect, our Father who art in heaven. So pray as if God is reigning over the whole universe. Pray as if God is reigning over the whole universe. Man, when I was a kid, heaven seemed so simple, right? I don't know who did it, but it's not simple anymore. I was thinking about Heaven this week, and you, I mean, you go down rabbit holes, rabbit trails so fast. Um, so is heaven a place? Is it a where? Is it a when? Was it before, back at the beginning in the garden? Is it after? All those questions are easy to start, like, just going all kinds of directions with. But it's, it's a paradise. Heaven's paradise is where God the Father's presence is. It's where he's enthroned. Heaven is God reigning over all things, all the universe, all the creation. Creation is not yet renewed and restored, but God is already reigning over the entire universe. He's already all-powerful over everything. Heaven is when and where we experience unity with God. One day, that will be completely perfect, uninterrupted, complete unity with God, one day. Um, In Revelation, it talks about it like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming out of the heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them; they will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, or crying, nor pain any more for the former things have passed away." And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. We have have the uh, exciting ability to look forward to that kind of unity, uninterrupted, no barriers. Um, We can have little bits of unity with God right now. We can have little bits of heaven right now. Um, We will eventually have, heaven is about things lasting. It's about everlasting life, life to the full, what God's design is, perfect unity with God. When we enter the time with God and we strive for unity with Him, we get to experience a little bit of heaven right now. We can let go of our grip on this world. We can let go of the things that we worry about, stressors, fears, things we prioritize above God, the competing purposes, things that fight for our attention, things that fight for um, yeah, our purposes in life. We can acknowledge God's superior, superiority over all things, all lives, all creation. We can rest in his presence. We can look forward to an eventual perfect unity with him, but allow him to accomplish as much of that unity in our hearts as possible right now. As much unity in our hearts as possible right now. More can be said about this and also just like the your kingdom come aspect, so I'm not going to go way, way into it. Let many of these things overlap in that way. Um, but as we pray, we must try to get into that mindset that God really is over all things. He really is enthroned over all the universe. If you think of heaven as like some separate place, think of God as distant, it does not help us. It is not good. It is not true. God is here. He is enthroned. He is over all things. We do not have perfect unity with him right now, but we will. We are promised that. So as we pray, we must get that mindset. God really is over all things. So pray is if God is really over the whole universe. Pray as if he is when I want to say as if, I mean he is, but I mean like that should be what informs how we pray. To pray as if you believe it. The third aspect is hallowed, which of course mostly refers to Jesus', you know, big, being a big fan of Halloween. That's kind of where he what he means by that. Uh, so it is the season. Um hallowed is to pray as if God is the only good, righteous, and just one. Pray as if God is the only good, righteous, just one. This word can be a little tough for us. <laughs> it's just kind of weird. Makes me think of that, um, I don't know when this was, I see in the office when Ryan is at Shrewd's farm, I'm looking for an office fan to be like nodding like big, and then like his cousin's running around and he's like, pay no attention to the spirits that haunt this hallowed ground or hallowed ground or whatever. That's like the only time I can think of a, a seeing hallowed used, like at some time in the, the last decade. Uh, so it's a weird word for us. So I totally get that, especially compared to like in the other language. It's kind of older than the classic version of the Lord's Prayer. This one is especially hard. Trespasses is a little odd, but we get it. We understand it, but we just don't use hallowed. It means holy. It means set apart. It means completely unique. God has no rival. He's completely righteous and absolutely just. He's the only one that is. With God, there is complete exclusivity on this. Um, like in the Shema, in Deuteronomy, here, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord's one is a big statement, especially in the context of the time when there were many, many gods, many different religions and cultures. Uh, many gods you interact with for all different reasons to accomplish different things in your life. But this idea of God being the only one, he's the only one that can bear the title of God really in an accurate way. That's a big idea. That's a big deal. So when we see things like that, we're kind of like, we assume it, you know, We're like, well, you know, for us, it's like either believing God or not, but there's not a lot of like, you know, believing in 12 gods or whatever. So um, God is the only one. We see this idea of people interacting with, encountering, and being even startled, you know, by God's holiness in Scripture. Happens quite a bit. Um, there's some pretty striking moments that I think we could be aware of, and they can be somewhere in our minds. I don't want them to, like, overly inform, but this is uh, just a couple. So Moses encountering God with the burning bush um, and being told to remove his shoes because the ground around the burning bush is holy. There's a change in approach here. Moses is changing his approach as, as he's interacting with God. As sinful humans who go our own way constantly, things get real really fast when we encounter a completely righteous God. A completely righteous God. It would be like if I had committed a bunch of crimes, had numerous tickets, warrants out for my arrest, tons of them, and I happened upon like a high up federal judge or something like that somewhere, and they were like, hey, come over and talk with me. It's like, okay, you know, no contest. I am like very condemnable right now as things stand. And you can do that. You are, you are a judge. You have the power to do that. Uh, I currently have a huge debt in this little legal sense. And I'm being asked to speak with someone who knows that, has the power to rightly and justly sentence me to prison for whatever amount of time. It would be right. It would be just. That's what it's kind of like. It's like, you're like, do I approach this guy? I'm bad, I know it, so no one needs to tell me, do I approach this one, he is so good. And that's the weighty way that our posture can change a little bit. Um, we can't overdo that, I'm not asking us to, but I just wanna talk about some of the things that we should understand about this word how it a little bit. And in God's case, it's like more extreme, of course, than the judge, uh, the federal judge or whatever. Like being in God's presence up on the mountain was impossible for Moses. He couldn't even be there without some kind of protection. <laughs> he needed to be hidden in the cleft of the rock so that God's holiness and perfect righteousness wouldn't just destroy Moses. So um, that's one of the examples we have. We also have in Isaiah, um, this this happened this is pretty notable that um, dovetails with what happened to Moses as well. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on high and lofty throne. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings with their with their cover with two that covered their faces, sorry. With two that covered their feet, and two that flew. And one called another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory filled the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said to Isaiah, Woe is me? I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the king of the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and his hand was a glowing coal that had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah has this feeling immediately, of unworthiness, just so obvious to him. The first thing he thinks of, unclean, I need repentance. I should not be here. I should not have gazed upon even God is so holy and God provides a way to make him holy. He provides the hot coal, but, um, I realize these examples can seem so extreme They're not like what you would really think about. Like, okay, when I go pray and me think about the whole, like throne room deal with the hot coal deal and visualize that just so I can have a good prayer life. I'm not saying that at all. They seem extreme. You're wondering if you need to go find some large rocks to hide in when you pray or whatever. Um, That's not what I'm saying. But our situation is a little different because Jesus has made it different. He's paid our debts already. He's with the Father interceding on our behalf. And the Holy Spirit is within us connecting us to the Father. But it's still true that God is holy and righteous and just. And we, without standing on the shoulders of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we are not. um, We are not holy. We are not just on our own. So there still must be some truth in here. Because Jesus is the one saying this, telling us to treat God as holy. There must be some truth in that, how we approach God's holiness. That must matter in our in our prayers. And I think Simon Peter's response to Jesus when he first encounters him is a really good example of this, a lot less extreme than Moses and Isaiah. So Jesus had just helped them get this massive catch of fish, right? And When, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Get away from me. I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed to catch a fish they'd taken. So were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. And they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed. We recognize God's holiness. We recognize our lack of holiness. We recognize our sinfulness. There is a massive difference. There is a huge chasm between God and us if there wasn't for Jesus. Simon fell down used Jesus' feet and he repented. That's what it looks like to encounter God in his holiness. We yield. We yield to God's holiness, to his righteousness. We pray as if God is the only good, righteous, just one. We pray as if God is the only good, righteous, just one. So we've got to kind of think about how do we then take these things and actually incorporate them into our prayer life, you know? Um, it's a few short words. I just made it really complicated. Now what do we do about it? Um, so I think one of the reasons why this is so beneficial and we're even just like Jesus saying, pray like this. He's not saying like, pray once like this. It seems like he's getting at the idea of this being a recurring thing is that we do need to re- be reminded often of who God is and who we are. We need to be reminded of this often. We need to be reminded that he's the best act. We need to be reminded of that all the time if we forget it. We need to be reminded that he is reigning over the whole universe. We need to be reminded that he's holy, that he's the only good, righteous one. It mixes, if you put all this together, it mixes love of a dad, the familiarity of being with our dad, with acknowledgement of God's control over everything. And also reverence for his just absolute goodness and justice. Don't take those things one at a time, um, or at least I wouldn't do that all the time. Hold them together. Our father is in heaven. and he's, His name is holy. That's one phrase together. He's a dad. He's the best dad. He's reigning over the whole universe. Most of our, our dads here on earth um, don't do that. He's holy. He's the only one that's been combining all of those things together. Uh, is this idea of how we approach God. So I think it should also use the positions right right at the top of the prayer I think it makes sense that you would start off this way It gets the positions right God you're God I'm not God. God you're my father I'm your child you're king over everything you're completely one of a kind you're the only one that's good and righteous and just um, I really you know think you... about us? let me think so uh, do you guys know this Jesus Storybook Bible? Okay, interesting. I guess it's like the whole Jesus Storybook Bible. I guess it's like the whole like only like three of us have kids or whatever and most of us don't. So we've been reading this Bible to Ezra and slowly understanding more of it. He just calls it Jesus Book. Or G- Jesus Boot. That's how he says book. And um, I don't know if you really need it, but I feel like it's like, I don't think it's only for kids. like, I need to be reading this little thing all the time. Like, maybe I just got I'm like a child and I'm immature and stuff. So, um, the other day, for the second time I read the, um, the, this of restorative version of the Lord's Prayer. So I want to read it for you guys. And I know you're thinking, you're like, man, when, is it, when is it? when someone's showing a picture book, it's like, it takes you back to like grade school and stuff like that. And then you're annoyed if you can't see the pictures. So I thought about right? that. So you can see scans really dim versions of what we are reading. But I want to close with this. I think it like helps bring all the complexity addicts this whole thing down to this, this yeast to understand version. And I just like it, so shut up. Um, <laughs> how to pray. In those days, there were some extra super holy people. At least that's what they thought. And they were called Pharisees. There's a lot of humor in it too. It's pretty funny. It's like every left and right. Every day, they would stand out there in the middle of the street and pray out in big, extra-super-holy voices. They really weren't praying so much as just showing off. They used lots of special words that were so clever, no one understood what they meant. People walking by would stop and stare, which might sound rude, except that's exactly what the extra-super-holy people wanted. They wanted everyone to say, Look, well, yeah, they're so holy. I must love the people the best. Now, you and I both know they're wrong. God doesn't just love holy people. But the people walking by weren't so sure. They didn't know that. People, you did, perhaps you did have to be really clever or good or important for God to love you. Perhaps you had to know lots of difficult, clever words to speak to God. So one day Jesus taught people how to pray. He said, when you pray, don't pray like those extra super hollow people. They think that they say a lot of words, God will hear them. But it's not because you're so clever or good or so important that God will listen to you. God listens to you because he loves you. Did you know that God is always listening to you? Did you know that God can hear the quietest whisper deep inside your heart, even before you started to say it? Because God knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him, Jesus told him. You see, God just can't wait to give you all that you need. So you don't need to use long words or special words. You don't have to use a special voice. You just have to talk. So when you pray, pray in your normal voice just like when you're talking to someone you love, very much like this. Hello, Daddy, or hey, Dad. Um, We want to know you and be close to you. Please show us how. Make everything in the world right again in our hearts, too. Do what's best, just like you do in heaven. And please do it down here, too. Please give us everything we need today. Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you, Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they hurt us. Rescue us. We need you. We don't want to keep running away and hiding from you. Keep us safe from our enemies. You're strong, God. You can do whatever you want. You're in charge now and forever and for always. We think you're great. Amen. Yes, we do. You see, Jesus was showing people that God would always love them with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So they didn't need to hide anymore, be afraid or ashamed. They could stop running away from God and they could run to him instead, as a little child runs into daddy's arms. See, so you liked it. <laughs> Come on. Honey. You liked it too. Um, that's pretty much all I have. I, w- I would like to end this section of our time, just with saying what was prayer again together, and then we'll do okay. announcements and a couple other things before we get out of here. Um, so we can put that. T.C. doesn't know it, so. Okay. Okay. Our Father, our King hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy, thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against, 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 against us. Leave us not to the Deliver us from evil. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week.